A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, this is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Premier League football was back at the weekend with Spurs fans lauding the parking the bus approach. We'll talk about Jose Mourinho's one year in charge shortly. Leeds wasted a great chance, story of the game pretty much, to beat a very average Arsenal. At Liverpool show that class is permanent, whatever the personnel. And we will try our best with a little quiz at the end of the podcast to interpret the handball rule. And it is not as easy as some of you might think. In fact, it's very, very hard. Uh, with me, I'll say hello to Matt Dickinson, Tom Clark, and Gregor Robertson to help mull over all of that over the next hour or so. Hi, guys. Hi, Hugh. Hello. Hi, Tom. You all right? Yes, fine. Sorry, Hugh. I was after my enthusiastic response to last show about Gareth Southgate. I thought I'd keep my mouth shut this time. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> but, but I'm fine. Thank you very much for asking. Good, good, good. Good to hear you're all cheery. I don't know if it's, you know, the lockdown setting in. I don't know if it's the weather getting a little bit colder, but a, a few comments from friends in my circle anyway around, a, you know, a lackluster feeling towards maybe a bit of a fatigue with football setting in. Uh, as it gets, you know, the nights draw in as well. How are you guys feeling? Still buzzing? Actually, I was I was completely pretending being upbeat. Then I'm feeling miserable. As shit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I uh, it's it's just crap, isn't it? But um, yeah, I didn't I didn't I didn't want to come on a po- start a podcast with how are you feeling? <laughs> yeah, really useless and down and uh, frustrated. Um, but um, yeah, if you want the honest answer, then um, yeah. Uh, Life's a bit bloody dull, isn't it? Slightly. Managed to get out for an hour a day walk, but that's about it. Gregor, what about you? I kind of swerve between those two feelings. There's times where you're watching a game and you hear the kind of echoes around the stadium and stuff, and you're thinking, what? You know, this is really bad. And then you're kind of looking at the, the table and thinking, there's a bit of uncertainty here. And, you know, the chance of a title race that's got more than, than uh, two teams in it. Um, and you think, you know, it's, it's a bit different. And it's, football's probably the only thing keeping you going as well as, at the moment. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm having peaks and troughs, but I'm in, a, I'm in a peak at the moment. I think it's it was interesting watching the games yesterday. I, I kind of felt like the players and that mood that Matt just described is represented on the pitch. When you look at the games, Fulham, for example, against Everton, desperately in need of points, got back to 3-2, brought Ruben Loftus-Cheek on, looked like a better side for the last 20 minutes. And you would, I was watching that game and thinking, it, they scored to make it 3-2. And you know, me and some friends were exchanging te- texts and saying, oh, this is great, the comeback's on, who'd have thought it? And the last 20 minutes was so flat. The last 50, you know, they were passing it side to side. I don't think they even really created a chance. And you just thought that if fans had been there in a different world, this would have been a completely different game with a different feel. Ditto maybe Sheffield United as well, chasing a goal against West Ham, knocking it left, right, left, right, and eventually one of the centre-backs looping a ball into the box, which West Ham easily deal with. 
those that kind of period of a football match that is where we're lacking at the minute and i feel like that that kind of represents how we're all feeling a little bit day to day those that 20 minutes at the end of the game where you're desperately looking for something and it's just not there and i think that 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 was what was most striking in terms of what's different at the moment and what we're uh, what we're struggling for and lacking severely without the fans in we'll talk about arsenal later on but i felt the same tom watching leeds um yeah. Absolutely. knowing that if Ellen Road was full, they would have won that game comfortably. You know, they yeah. would have willed the ball into the back of the net. You're just watching them play really safe, passing it around. Yes, they had, you know, 25-odd shots. But I think with the crowd there, one of them nestles in the back of the net. Just, it's, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, but it just had a different feel. Maybe the pressure on the Arsenal players and the pressure on the, the Leeds players is, is different with the crowd there and, and they react differently. But we can talk about that a little bit later on. Um, and, and I'm not trying to start with a negative. You know, Spurs fans are absolutely delighted. Maybe, maybe the reason that there's a malaise from certain fans is looking at the table and thinking Tottenham might win the league and Jose might be back to his best because no one, no one really wants that. You know, anti-football whoa, whoa, whoa. is the way. Whoa, whoa, anti whoa. Listen, eh? I tip them to have a good season. So, you know, I'm feeling pretty smug at the moment. But, <laughs> but the way they beat Manchester City at the weekend, yes, it was a 2-0 win. Many people saying Jose Mourinho back to his best as a manager. I'm not quite sure about that. Um but he has had one year in charge, so it's a good junction to sort of see how Jose Mourinho has done at Tottenham Hotspur. Matt, do you, do you feel he's getting back to his best, getting that mojo back? Um, I do. I, I did a piece Saturday morning um, and uh, on that on that very theme. Actually, I got one mistake in it because um, I wrote that they'd... Uh, there hadn't been a cake and candles um, for that first anniversary. Um, subsequently, was told that there was, that um, someone at Spurs had thought this was worthy of uh, a celebrating. And I guess given the mood there, you can't blame them. I mean, I think there are just lots of things coming together. I think it's Mourinho himself being uh, working back in London um, compared to, to Manchester. I wrote on Saturday morning about various things about differences of the sort of ease of his job compared to what was going on at United where, you know, let's be frank, you know, in the last year at least, he didn't even disguise the fact that he was he was pretty miserable. Um, I think he's got a, um, things in place that he needs. I think he's got a, a receptive group of players, which I think is always important to him. I think, you know, compared to sort of, you know, to an extent at, at Madrid with certain players that he we know he fell out with senior players United we saw it with Pogba and other, that he's got you know open-eared players players who think this guy can take us somewhere um I think his signings Tottenham have had as, as good a transfer window as anyone when you see the impact I mean Hoiberg in particular I have to say maybe it was the sort of English fan in me that was thinking poor old Harry Winks gets barged out sort of almost literally by this sort of, you know, enforcer player. But I think Hoberg's proving to be that and more um, just for what Spurs needed. I think he's got the team set up in a way that's looking, uh, well, you know, at the very least highly effective as we saw. I think he's got players who don't actually mind playing as they did, which must be hugely frustrating at times. You've got quality players. You're being basically told, look, you're going to have 20% of the possession. You're going to have to dig in. You're going to have to just work your, your nuts off. You know, it's going to be ugly, but we will win. You need a certain player in a, you know, a certain point in his career with a certain mindset to buy that, to believe it's worth it and to believe it's worth only having 20% of the ball 
to get the end result. And he seems to have that at the moment. He seems to have them buying into it. So, you know, you add all those things together and suddenly, you know, and the squad depth, um, and suddenly you think, blimey, Tottenham for the title, I wouldn't have put a fiver on it a few months ago, but, you know, I might think about it now. I think it's interesting some of the points Matt's discussed there. And I Tom's uh, Tom's stolen theme from someone else for today's podcast comes courtesy of Marco Matarazzi, uh, who played for Jose Mourinho at Inter Milan. And because I was looking at that in relation to Tottenham and the parallels that may or may not exist. And that, that he had two seasons there. And in that second season, obviously, he won the treble, won the Champions League with Inter Milan, won the league. Only won the league by two points, I hasten to add as well. But Matarazzi, who was a very much a squad player, didn't play every game, said um, that he drilled into us both positive and, you know, was hard on us. But the key was consistency. Consistency for us was so important. We had 25 players and it didn't matter who played and in what positions. We were the same team every single game. And I think that's really interesting when you think about this season in particular with the nature of the season in terms of the game after game after game after game. When you look at teams who maybe don't quite know what it is they're about and maybe going for a period of transition and we'll come to some of those, surely that that idea of consistency, you know Harry Kane is your star man who's responsible for creating. Son is the guy who's going to look to break and get in behind. Hoiberg is the guy there to annoy the other team, win the ball back, disrupt everything, break up the play. But also you look at the team and they're not any different when Lo Celso comes on for Ndombele. They're, do- they're different players, but they're doing the same job. Also, you wonder whether that's perhaps why we've not seen as much of Gareth Bale, because you have Harry Kane in that role, Son in his role, and then that third forward role, if you like, goes to a Mora, Bergwijn, Lamella, the kind of forward who's going to run around, do a lot of pressing, maybe provides an attacking impetus as well. So I thought that was really interesting what Matarazzi said in th- and then thinking about it in relation to this Tottenham team. And as Matt has quite rightly pointed out, you know, having those players who are willing to do the job to get the job done. And that was perhaps where it fell down towards the end of his Man United career because the squad changed and he didn't quite have the players and they were trying to be a bit more than what their ability showed. You know, you look at the first season at Manchester United, Ibrahimovic in that Kane role. He then had either Martial or Rashford played the kind of son role. He had players like Ander Herrera. Ander Herrera was one of his most important players that season. He did the Hoiberg job, ran around, kicked people, won the ball, disrupted things, annoyed the opposition. You know, I've been reflecting on Hoiberg. I always thought he was a brilliant player at Southampton, but he seems to have gone up a level in terms of his winding up opponents as well. And that's a very Jose Mourinho thing as well. So I think Matt's absolutely right that he's got a very good squad for what he wants to put out on the pitch. And I wonder whether that idea of consistency might be a big thing for Tottenham this season. Uh, Tom, you credit Marco Matarazzi there. I'd I'd refer you to my very first episode of the game (laughs) podcast at the start of the season, where I told you that this squad had the image of Jose Mourinho's Inter Milan. But but fine, Marco Matarazzi, if you will. I'm completely riffing off your idea. I'm just saying that that, that perhaps lends more credence to the point when it comes from a player who is in the squad. That's all I'm saying that's all I'm saying I'm backing you up I'm backing you up thank you thank you thank you um Jose Mourinho says Spurs are not fighting for a title we haven't seen a title won 
in the manner, the style in which Spurs have played so far this season uh, for quite some time. Um, do we think, Gregor, that this squad, this team, these performances are the making of champions? I feel that this season of any season, it's it's a possibility in that this season feels like when the players are already knackered a quarter of the way in, uh, when about a quarter of them are injured, um, when they're playing in empty, soulless, echoing arenas every week and kind of that self-motivation and doggedness is more important than ever. Um, it feels like it's a, you know about finding, just finding a way to win and having a, a means of, a means of grinding out victories, and that's what Spurs are doing just now. Whether they can continue that or not, um, I don't know. And I, you know, I, I immediately refer to Liverpool and how kind of we're going to speak about them later, and they still seem to be head and shoulders above any other team, even despite the injuries. Um, but I also think you know, no one's really mentioned Harry Kane yet. I know he's been discussed a lot over the last few weeks and what he's kind of the way he's transformed. But I think I think Mourinho deserves credit for that too. I think you know there's this kind of he's cast as a as the guy who's a bit of yesterday's man. Um, get the ball to your you know be solid, hard to beat. Get the ball to your kind of superstar attacking players and and give them a bit of free reign to to build attacks from there. There's no way that this this is not that Mourinho's not had an influence on Kane's sort of transformation and how, how much more creative he's being now and you know you only look at the two goals City couldn't deal with him operating in that, that bit of space in front of their, their back four the two defenders were drawn out and bad defending for the first goal allowed Son in for the space and the second one he picked up the ball and he drove and he perfectly waited past the Lucille so this is you know this is a this is a, a plan they've worked on this and obviously Kane is is a pretty unique player in that he's you know, he's someone who is not only a brilliant striker, but he's he can drop in and play that role as well as anyone. So, but he's he's recognised that and he's utilising it, and I think Mourinho deserves credit for that as well. So, the only thing is, Harry Kane. I can't remember the last time he went through a, a season without one long-term injury, and if that that could scupper their chances, really. You should. Um, we've got to give some credit to Saint Saint Gareth of Southgate to um, for the for Yay, the Harry Kane. Someone praising Gareth Southgate. <laughs> Where have you been for the past few weeks? Some of that transformation has come came, you know, going back to twenty eighteen, didn't it, with the, the World Cup and, and and England, the way England played, that Kane was starting to drop deep. But uh, yeah, I mean, Greg is totally right. It's it's Mourinho sort of fine tuning it as a as a tactical um, tool. Um, I mean, we saw you know when Southampton away, wasn't it, when they were triggering that offside trap all the time, and then yeah, I mean, very very clearly deliberately done to, uh, to to beat City as well. But I, even more about Harry Kane, which takes me back to that point about the getting these players to to sort of buy into him and to buy into the cause. You saw Kane right near the end chasing back, tackling, you know, in his own penalty box. And, you know, okay, a yeah, player works hard, sort of whoopee-doo. But, you know, this that's not a small thing to get a player who's, you know, been is a star player who's already worked his nuts off in the game, who's already done his job for the game, doing that. And, you know, maybe this is one reason why, you know, it does have a shelf life. And Marine, you know, I think there's a few reasons for that. But part of the reason is because you're asking star players to do a lot of, donkey work a lot of grubby work and maybe after two or three years of it they think mm, you know thanks a lot but at the moment they are buying into it they they harry kane is thinking this might get me the 
get me those medals that I'm after if I do this. And he's mucking in. Son was doing the same. So I think at the moment, you've got a team that's that's mucking in, in you know, classic Mourinho style. And, um, you know, as long as, long as you're doing that with the quality of, of players like Kane and Son and Bale, uh, Celso, et cetera, then you, you've really got a chance. Kane didn't have a shot. <laughs> Gary Kane, the good, you know, goal scorer, didn't have one shot in the game. But as Matt says, he did the role that was necessary of the, for the team to get the victory. I think that's role two goals. isn't it? Because we've we've had. I, I was in the office while the game was happening, and there was a Tottenham fan in there as well, and he was joking that in previous seasons that kind of stat would have been seen as a massive negative, you know, and there would have been people people saying, "Oh, Harry Kane's not had a touch in the box. What's going on?" Blah blah blah. But. If the result is there, then I don't think it matters too much. And I also think we're being a little bit harsh on Jose in the in the way in which we're discussing this success. You know, Hugh, you talked about it being very defensive. Matt, you said about mucking in, and that's all true. But I I don't you know don't find it a pain to watch Tottenham Hotspur this season in the way that perhaps some of his Manchester United performances towards the end of his time there were a real drag. Tottenham is still an exciting team to me. Son Heung-min is one of the best players in the Premier League. He's almost that classic underrated player. And it's exciting to see him sprinting clear. Kane is playing some unbelievable football. Regulon, the left-back, I think is a brilliant signing and has looked very exciting going forward. So Dombele. Yeah, and Dombele. Rejuvenation as well has been huge for them. Into a different type of player. He thought, OK, well, maybe he's not got the legs to play in that defensive role. I'll use him as a kind of slightly more attacking battering ram, if you like. And he played a brilliant ball through for Son, very clever ball through. And I think we, we're doing to Jose a bit of a disservice to say it's this kind of, it, it, it obviously is that hard work gets results, but there's more to it than that. There is a lot of, you know, excitement and flair, isn't there? I think the issue is that there's more to the Premier League than Jose Mourinho's approach. It is it is a dated approach, or it's certainly an approach that might work great. in, in another league. But I think it's great to have him there, though. Because sorry, I think- Tom, not necessarily the style of football, though. Not necessarily the style of football. The approach that says we'll win the league by beating the teams outside the other big teams. And then when we play the other big teams, if we go for a draw or we're just really hard to beat and we maybe nick a win, then we'll be able to win a league title. And all I'm saying is Liverpool and Manchester City have set the bar so high over the past few seasons that you need to win virtually every week. You know, you you can't just be strong and solid against the other big teams. And I know I'm saying this off the back of a win against Manchester City. I can't see them having the best record against the other top six sides if they play that way against all of them. That, that That's my point. So, uh, but, but I think for where Tottenham Hotspur are and, and when he took over, no, that's still a massive improvement to be in that conversation around beating Manchester City's and probably if they play this way, beating most of the other top six sides, certainly not losing to them. Um, I wouldn't say it's great to watch though in terms of matches like this specific one against Manchester City. The thing that annoys me very greatly is that Jose Mourinho and the word masterclass are too often joined by people (laughs) in the media and fans as well. City having 67% possession, 22 shots, uh, four shots from Spurs. Um, that is not a masterclass, okay? It, is, in, it works, and it's it, so, it isn't. It isn't. Let me explain why. It's not, let me explain why it's not a masterclass. You go, and I'll, okay? then I'll tell you why you're wrong. Because the heights of beauty in this world, the thing that should have you described <laughs> as as giving out a masterclass, is is 
is excellence beyond belief. Now, there is beauty in many, many things. You know, you can get your child to draw, draw a picture of the family. They're five years old and you, you put it up on the fridge. And to you, that is the most beautiful piece of artwork you've ever seen. <laughs> but it's not hanging in the Louvre, mate. And, that, and that's the reality of the situation. This, this football is, is good. It works. It's solid. You can give it as much praise as you want to in terms of crediting winning a game. And there are many ways to win a football match. No one's going to write books about this. Okay, this is not the stuff that we tell our grandkids about. This is not the beautiful game. But that falls into the pattern of you have to, I hate that term, good football. And what people mean by playing good football is playing like Manchester City. That's just nonsense. That Nothing winds me up in football more than people say, oh, well, they don't play good football. Not like rubbish. Do they win games? Yes, then they play good football. Because football is about winning games. You're like, fine, you might get to a point where as a fan, you want to see something different. But I think it can be a masterclass because it's, if it's fine, it's simple, and everyone goes, "Oh, we knew this was coming." And it's like, well, Pep Guardiola can't beat it with with a Manchester City team. Like, it's got to, it's got to be something masterful about that, hasn't there? At least, I mean, to be honest, I, I think you, I mean, credit Tottenham in the sense of they embraced it, knowing what they wanted. You know, they had Pochettino regime, which I think, yeah, would I prefer a Pochettino? Uh, start if I if I when I own a club when I'm a billionaire I'm much more likely to employ Pochettino than than Mourinho, but the the the, the, the sort of mistake comes when you're a Man United and you employ Mourinho thinking we're going to get something more than he's going to give you you know we're going we we want to be Man United and we want a certain style and we want to you know bring in the kids and we you know we have all these great heritages and and then. You you employ Mourinho, knowing you ain't going to get that. I mean, that's that that's that was crackers. I think Tottenham, for where they're at, are willing to. You know, you go. You know what? We we had such great times under Pochettino, but we've fell short in one critical measure, and they've just gone sod it. Basically, we'll throw ourselves in with him for a couple of years, and we'll 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 put up with twenty five percent possession and four shots. And you know, I'd, I'm I'm with you, you in the sense of you know, uh, you know, if you're asking me to list the great teams, I mean, Chelsea in his first uh, incarnation, I thought were actually were more dynamic and exciting than probably they get credit for. You know that 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 first um, first time around there was something new and, and, and novel and, and and sometimes very actually bold about them but you know a lot of Mourinho football is you know this sort of regarded as anti-football in, in a sort of risk averse let the other one make a mistake you know um, way and yeah you know if, if we're going to make sort of moral judgments on that I'm with you but if for where Tottenham are at for what they want it's it's what it says on the tin. Personally, I think there there can be beauty in this kind of football. Yes, Greg. There's no. I knew the former Grimsby left back would say that. To be perfectly honest. <laughs> Why did you say that? <laughs> <laughs> I adore watching Atletico Madrid when they are at their gnarly, gnarliest yeah. and grittiest and most ugly. But almost almost entirely because I don't have a skin in the game. If I was if I was Liverpool, say uh, the you know supported Liverpool when they were knocked out of the Champions League last, I would have been tearing my hair out. But if I was an Atletico fan or I'm a neutral and I'm watching that game, I think this is amazing. It's amazing that he can get these players to buy into that, especially in the mod- in modern age. Kind of as Matt was alluding to, they are getting some of the best players in Europe to say, so that we're not going to be the team who are on the front foot with the ball all the time. We're going to be organised and gritty and hard to beat. And then we're going to nick a goal. 
uh, and who cares because we might win the trophy. That's so that in itself is an achievement. And you know, as you said, as Matt was saying, Mourinho didn't really get that at Manchester United, and it didn't wasn't really, didn't ever really feel like a, the right fit because although Spurs are a, a big club, a big club in England, and they think they have a kind of you know this tradition of playing playing the, the, a certain type of football, they're still a rung down from Man United and from the top teams in England. And if they win trophies this way, they will not give a damn. Hugh, mark the day, Monday 23rd of November. Me and Gregor have just agreed on something on the game podcast. It won't happen again for the rest of the year. But I think, I think that we should maybe, the four of us, make a promise to be on the show in about a month's time because Tottenham, in the four of their next five Premier League games, Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, Leicester, and I think that will tell us a lot about what this team is capable of because we're all sat here going, we know how they're going to play against those teams. They, those teams probably know what's coming. How's it, how's it going to work? Are they going to pull it off again or are they going to be beaten 3-1 and Jose's going to be left scratching his head and going, oh, maybe I need to sign someone. Well, also they're not, you know, they're not going to win the league if if Liverpool go and win twenty on the on the smash. You know, basically, you know, you know, you're right, you're you're right, Hugh. That's you know, there is a there are all sorts of anomalies, you know, in the world and in, certainly in the football world right now. About uh, and if if Liverpool, obviously they, you know, we know the the defensive issues they've got, etc. But if you know, if 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 a top team like them were to just suddenly find the form they've done the last two years, there's not much Tottenham are going to do about it. I just don't think any of us obviously expect record-breaking points and goals that we've seen from City and Liverpool over the last couple of years. We've spoken about ugly winning football. Let's talk about pretty losing football quickly. City uh, had 41 shots in their last two games against Spurs, lost them both without scoring. What is happening to Pep Guardiola and his City side, who for many look out of the title race? I wouldn't quite go that far yet, but they're a long way back already, Tom. Well, just to go back to Marco Materazzi, my new best mate, If you, I said it was going to be a theme. I did warn you. Consistency. Manchester City, like every time you watch them, there's a different... Yes, it's a theme. We know Pep Guardiola's got a style. But there's different players in different positions. Sometimes it's a false nine, Ferran Torres, Riyad Mahrez. And it, it just doesn't seem like he knows quite right what his best team is, who his best players are. It all just looks a bit confused. I think they're missing Fernandinho massively. I think there was lots made about this nice farewell for David Silva. And a, you know, a friend who's a listener uh, to the show pointed out how well he's doing at Real Sociedad at the minute. And when you look at that game against Tottenham and when you're playing a team like that set up, you need players like David Silva who's going to find a little pocket of space to play a one-two with Kevin De Bruyne and open something up. And they just lack, they're lacking that at the minute. They feel very, very reliant on Raheem Sterling and Kevin De Bruyne. And if you can keep those two players quiet, it looks like you've got a chance against Manchester City at the minute. Because those players that in that season of all the goals and all the points, Bernardo Silva, Riyad Mahrez, all these players that we maybe thought were seven, eight out of 10 players. And all of a sudden we were like, wow, oh my God, these players are amazing those guys look back to a, lo- a much lower level at the minute. And yeah, so to quote my mate Marco, they're lacking a consistency to me in the way they're playing, which is when you've got this game after game after game seems to be hampering them in my book. I, th- look, I think the first, the starting point is they don't have Aguero on the pitch. I think he scored eight goals by this point last season. Uh, they've scored uh, 10 goals in eight matches in this season, which is not City. Um, so 
And there was, you know, there was a decent breakdown in the Times today, actually, about um, they've had 125 attempts, which is second only to Liverpool. So they're still, you know, <laughs> for all this being a, a kind of a city that aren't quite functioning in the way we expect it, expect them to, they're still creating chances. They just aren't putting them away. Um, so that's the first, the first point. But the, the, I've said this before: the way they they're pressing is just completely changed, and it's not. Again, there was there was breakdown of stats in the in the Times again today, and it was fairly fairly marked regression from from last season. And the interesting thing was their stats were last season were the same as the season before when they won the league. But you could even the eye test was telling you they weren't really as coherent a, a kind of pressing unit, which Guardiola's teams and the best teams in Europe that that is their kind of their their biggest strength. Was well, certainly their biggest strength out of possession. So that's not working for City just now. Um, and th- you've got to ask yourself why that is. A, a, you know, people are saying about the, the the short off season, the injuries, the you know all the things that are making this season unique. But I think that was an issue before this season and before restart and before coronavirus. And what that's down is down to, I'm not entirely sure. It could be the kind of you know the much talked about. Uh, three-year-plus period of, of Guardiola and how intense he is. Um, but they need to get that, they need to fix that because that is why they're they're being opened up more easily than we've ever seen before as well. City, as well as being so thrilling to watch, have also had the meanest defence in almost every season Guardiola has been a manager. That's gone out the window. Um, it's an interesting one when it comes to Manchester City at the moment. I mean, my personal view is I think people underrated um, the likes of Fernandinho, who, of course, is, is into his mid-30s now and they're trying to move on. They're trying to move on in certain areas of the pitch. And I just don't think it's it's working yet. I, can, I, I often think about things that are non-football related, whether players coming to Manchester City, working with Pep Guardiola, either think they're better than they are or that they're almost more entitled to win trophies because you look at the players that have been there before and the work rate, um, the likes of Vincent Company, who when he showed up and what he turned himself into as a player, you know, David Silva, we talk about the likes of Fernandinho. Of course, Aguero is not on the pitch at the moment. And whether they have that ruthlessness when they're not playing brilliantly to win games, I've not yet seen that. I've not really seen them grind out a result for a while. You know, they are a team that either wins games beautifully or doesn't win. And uh, I think they do need to find a different way of, of winning games when things aren't going against them. I know there was a clip in um, in the All or Nothing series where Fabian Delph is like trying to get a word in on Pep Guardiola and Guardiola saying, hold on a second. And Delph saying, no, I want to say something. And he's like, no, let, ju- uh, just let me finish, um, Fabian, please. And he, he badges him so much that Delph is allowed to speak. And he says... It's the basics of football. When things aren't going your way, do the basics well. Stop worrying about playing brilliant football. Let's just do the basics, which especially coming out of the, the Yorkshire accent of Fabian Delft in a change room like Manchester City's was rather poignant and, and, and almost a message to Pep, um, who then, of course, promptly got Delft out the door. But um, in many ways, I think they do need to learn that lesson. I think Gregor makes a point about the defending and that, Pep intensity because I found that watching City and I think Gary Neville's alluded to this on Sky commentary as well the the pressing and the defending across the pitch and that defending as a team doesn't look as intense they look obviously there's points to be made about the amount of games players are playing but they look a bit 
weary. They look a bit tired, I think, as a team sometimes. And may, perhaps you do wonder about that that pep period of three, four years, bang, I come in, it's all intense, it's fantastic. You know, He said that about his time at Barcelona. Oh God, no, I can only do so many years. That's all I've got left to give. And when you read about him, the intense way of not just in what, how his teams want to play, but his, his intensity off the pitch as well, wins a game 5-0 and then is studying what they did wrong. He seems like such an intense character and that must feed into your squad as well. And maybe they just they becomes tired after a while because that that's, they look a bit weary on the pitch to me. That 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 kind of intensity across the pitch is not there at the minute, and I think that's that's a factor as well. I think I think you're right. Fernandinho is the sort of almost the embodiment of of that that side of it who's missed. I mean, I think you know what we're talking about with Spurs. It's not as if you know that Spurs method surprised us, is it? I mean, you know, oddly enough, they were going to get Kane to drop drop in, try and spin on the ball and then release, you know, some fast runners and oddly enough, and that's what happened. So, you, you, you know, you would be thinking that you would be getting, you know, you're holding midfield to, to sit on him to, 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 you know, and whether it takes, you know, a foul, a tactical foul or just being there in the right place, the right time, the right interception. But um, they were, they were, it was that, yeah, that, 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 the fact that they were picked off in that way um, summed up, I think, that that whole issue of the the intensity and the um, yeah defen- defensive assurance. Fernandinho is almost impossible to replace. You know, we've spoken a lot about England the last couple of weeks and how you know the the kind of makeup of the partnership of having two midfielders sitting there, and there's always two. City really is one. And Fernandinho covers so much ground. He's so smart, and he's he's wise. He's he's kind of you know he's he, he knows when to when the ball's getting away from him or a player's getting away from him, and he just takes them down. So yeah, Rodrigo isn't Fernandinho. I know he was signed to be to be the kind of next guy to step into his shoes, but I'm not seeing it. So that is a pivotal role for Manchester City. And last season, when Fernandinho had to play in defence a lot of the time, it was exposed. This season, he's not. He's not fit at the moment and again it's been exposed so I think you know that's another big issue for City to, it's, it's not one they can solve in the kind of immediate term I don't think Kevin De Bruyne is far less a player without Fernandinho on the pitch I think because he, because he has to take on that two player responsibility almost I remember there was a game perhaps two seasons ago where they were chasing the game and I think Pep took Fernandinho off and then dragged De Bruyne over to the touchline and had a chat with him as if to say, right, okay, you've got to change your position now. I drop a bit deeper. And De Bruyne was fur- like, he vis- you know, visibly furious as if, for Christ's sake, you do get that impression that Fernandinho does so much work that allows a player like De Bruyne to, to do what he does best, go forward, break up play, play in that more advanced, destructive role. So, yeah, I think he, he's a massive factor, Hugh. You're quite right. Well, we'll see if Manchester City can draw themselves back in the title race and whether Spurs can maintain it over the coming weeks. And I'm sure we'll come back to both sides. But the last thing on the minds of fans on the other half of North London to Spurs is a title win. Arsenal drew nil-nil against Leeds. They were extremely fortunate, though, to escape with a point. Leeds hit the woodwork several times. They had 25 shots in what can only be described as a a masterclass of a goalless draw. Uh, They played very well. Um, For Arsenal, though, it is pretty dire at the moment. Mikel Arteta's side have failed to score in four of their last five Premier League games. They've only won one of their last five as well. 
they seem to me to lack intensity for sure and desire to. Gregor, what is going wrong? I knew you'd come to me. <laughs> <laughs> What's going wrong? You love Mikel. Come on. I, look, I still have. I still. Craig is talking like he's he's under threat. He's obviously there's first time he's, there's some kind of pressure on him. People are looking and thinking, yeah, we saw the plan, uh, but it's not really turning out results at the moment. But I still think you know the plan is there and and his his abilities are clear. And the thing I always come back to, and I have come back to uh, as you keep coming to me on this <laughs> is the, the personnel really, uh, there's a reason why Arsenal have been in this kind of malaise for a period of time and they've got you know the sort of institutional weakness I think and that's still reflected in some of the players and their inconsistencies and I think ultimately until he's allowed to shape the squad a little bit more over the, over the coming year that will continue to emerge but you know, there's question marks about how they how they've been shaping this uh, recruiting players in the past, and whether you know there will be marked improvements from that. So I just I just think when you look at the team, some of the players still aren't good enough, they're not consistent enough. And yes, there's I think I think there's also kind of a bit of a another mirroring with with England here or reference in that they seem to be trying trying to protect their their weaknesses, which is which are defensively. And so they're playing more conservatively, I think, than he would instinctively want to. So I, until they've got better defenders, that's going to be the case. And and I would say better midfielders too. Ceballos is a talented player, but he's not. I don't think he's consistent enough for Arsenal. And Jacka has been rejuvenated, but still, if that's your midfield too, protecting a a, a back line that includes Rob Holding, um, you know this is going to be the result personally but as I say I think like England Arsenal have some really good attacking players they're just not the the, the way that Arsenal are set up to play at the moment is not really helping them they have got results though with those players in the team and not and it wasn't that long ago so there is definitely a change you know we weren't saying this after they were getting past Chelsea and, and Manchester City in the cup for example but again, I put that down to their inconsistencies. We're talking about our Spurs going to go throughout a season and be gritty and, and ground out wins throughout the season. That's a question mark. We, we know the answer to that, but Arsenal, the answer is no. I like how we're all picking up on the Marco Materazzi consistency theme. I'm glad this is, I'm glad this is spreading to uh, everyone else on the show. Uh, there, there is something to be said, and obviously Arsenal fans, a good friend of mine is an Arsenal fan, he said how oh, it's so depressing to watch that performance. But there's something to be said about getting a draw in that situation. 40 minutes with 10 men, they were very well set up, very well disciplined. The players, you could see they were very invested in you know, Arteta screaming instructions from the touchline. They worked very hard. Yes, they got lucky. Yes, Leeds could have won the game 2-0, had you know the ball bounced a little bit differently and gone just in the top corner rather than hitting the post. But they did also counter-attack. You know, Saka had a few chances on the break and... That has to be a positive because we wouldn't have said that about Arsenal teams down the years, even an Arsene Wenger team and towards the end of his time, if they'd you know, gone down to 10 men with players of that ability, they probably would have lost the game if they hadn't already been losing before that. So there's, there's something to be said for um, the way Arteta's got the players drilled in that sense. And I think Gregor's right. And we said this about Arteta, didn't we? When he first came in, there was lots of excitement. It's a long road to getting the team he wants. And we've just been talking about Pep Guardiola 
obviously Mikel Arteta is a disciple of Pep Guardiola. Pep needed a season and a lot of money and a lot of transfers and a lot of squad change to get the team he wanted. And Arteta doesn't have that luxury with Arsenal in terms of being able to spend lots of money and change his squad. So it, it will be a long. T- it will be a good season and a half, maybe more, before we see Arteta. Uh, with the team and squad that he wants, I think. But I think there's there's positives to take from that performance. I think it's not. I mean, you're, you're right. And, and about how much money he gets to spend. I mean, I know it's it's not even. Well, I was going to say it's not one of his top issues because um, it's one he inherited in Pepe. But um, I mean, it it's one of seventy two million. You, you're you're starting to wonder if there's been a worse, a uh, sort of less value for money signing in Premier League in the last. Well, how long? How long do we want to go back? The whole, the in whole the, in, in the Premier League. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's you know seventy two million. Um, you know, and, and occasionally, you know, you'll see a flash of something. You think, ah, you know, maybe it's starting to come out. Maybe, yeah, maybe this is why. Maybe you know, given, and then within within a week, within a minute, you're, <laughs> you're despairing again. Uh, seventy two million record signing, etc. It's. Um, uh, you know, we were saying this even without yes, you know, yesterday's madness. I mean, that's that that sort of says it speaks for itself. But just as a, the, the broader issue of the signing, it's yeah, I, I, I don't know. Has, has anyone seen enough from Pepe to to sort of still think there's a player that's going to come out? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if they're going to win the Europa League, he's going to be integral. Be perfectly <laughs> honest with you. There's been that odd flash, hasn't there? The, the ducking off the right wing and then the shot with the left foot but that I mean that's maybe happened once or twice he was highly coveted though I mean I remember when Josie Mourinho was out of work he was sitting in the TV studio and saying this guy is a real player just when he first signed and you know he was very there was a, a lot of teams across Europe were looking at him maybe they, some balked at the price but you know he was very well thought of and it's, it is a bit of a mystery He's, he really as Matt says he really has he has nowhere near lived up to that price what I would say is, I think seventy-two. When you hit seventy-two million pounds, you're in the region of proven quality. You're spending that much money on a player; they have to have already been proven, in my opinion. You know, we can talk about the like the you know some of the young players who've been bought. There's been Dembele, Jao Felix. You know, Sancho would have gone for more than that. Yeah, you're buying potential, and and I don't think Arsenal are in the mode of buying potential. I, I think if they're going to spend 72 million pounds on anyone, they need to buy proven quality because I don't think the rest of the squad's that good to be taking a risk with that amount of money. That, but that's just me. You're right. You know, highly coveted player. I, I don't think they're ever going to get the Pepe that they thought they would when they bought him, the one that they had, that Lille had in France. Um, and it, it just one, one question on Arsenal really was, I, I think they have become harder to beat. And I think you're right, Tom, there are positives to take from the result against Leeds in that, I think Arsenal teams of the not too distant past would have been beaten against Leeds United at the weekend. But in being harder to beat, it seems like they've lost a creative spark. And Meza Ozil was trending during the match, not just because of his his arguments with Piers Morgan, but um, but I think a lot of fans were saying this is the type of match that we could have done with someone with the creative mind of the former World Cup winner, Mesut Ozil. Gregor, you're laughing at that prospect. I mean, <laughs> did you see sense. something last night that suggests they don't need Mesut Ozil? Uh, I think we've seen enough in the last 18 months to suggest that Arsenal need Ozil out the door. They need several players out the door. 
they need they need less of these distractions around them and players who are kind of creating more noise off the pitch than on it. Um absolutely not, not for me. He's not he's never gonna fit into Arteta's plan. Arteta's the way he sets up a team, what he expects from his players. Um and the sooner he leaves the better for all all concerned. It's very easy to say from afar, isn't it? Oh, we need a creative player. We've got Meza Ozil. But modern football's not like that. You can't just be a Meza Ozil and then be plopped into a Mikel Arteta team and suddenly you're creating loads of chances. You have to have everything else. You have to have the intensity, the pressing, the work rate off the ball, all the things that Ozil doesn't have and doesn't do. That's why he's not in the team. It's not because Arteta's looking at him and going, "Now, nah, mate, your left foot's not as good as everyone says it is. It, that's not why he's not. That's not why he's in the team. He's probably in there in training, doing his flicks and clever passes and through balls that he's always done. That's not why he's not in the team. Well, the just team. yeah, just not, not on the first team training pitch. I don't think. Well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's doing, doing it with the under the under twelves, maybe kicking balls against the wall, showing everyone what he can do. I still think he's got a chance of being in the team ahead of Pepe. To be perfectly honest, I, I, I'm not sure what I'm seeing from Pepe that makes me think he deserves a place. But well, that's—I mean, it's a fair point. It's, it's become symbolic, hasn't it? It's become a, a sort of test of this is what it takes to be a player in my squad. This is the minimum standards of, you know, of hard work, of listening to my instructions, of following my instructions, and then it, yeah, it becomes sort of symbolic of something. Now we have seen managers, you know. Sort of set 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 themselves up like that, you know. This player will never never play for me again, and have to have to backtrack and and do it do a U turn. But I think um, I think Gregor's right in this instance. If if Arteta has got the backing of the board, if he's part of the, the you know, if he has been told you have got the time to rebuild this Arsenal squad, um, then he has to be allowed to you know to 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 exile a player if he thinks that's that's what it's going to take. Uh, we should credit Leeds with their performance as well, um, just before we move on, because I think they were fantastic. A very entertaining goalless draw. Only the third goalless draw in 101 league games for Leeds under their manager, Marcelo Bielsa. And any other day, they probably could have scored four or five. They were fantastic. So credit to them. I know the Leeds fans are saying, why are we talking about Arsenal when Leeds were great? I'm sure we'll be talking about Leeds many more times to come before the end of the season. A reminder to enjoy more of our award-winning sports journalism. By the way, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times. You will get yourself one month free at the moment. Go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you back terror, there must be consequences. Shamima Begum was stripped of her British citizenship last year. It was the Times front page that gripped the nation. They have shown they hate our country and the values that we stand for. A story that sparked debate in Parliament, in the courts, and in every pub and living room across the country. All this week, Stories of Our Times will be stepping back and taking a considered look at the case of Shamima Begum. Should we bring British nationals who joined the Islamic State back home? Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. You're listening to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. We've discussed Arsenal, Spurs, Manchester City as well so far. None of them come close, I think, to Liverpool at the moment. They're level on points at the top of the Premier League after another great performance. They beat Leicester three goals to nil. Spurs equal with them on points at the top of the table at the moment but I'm not sure in terms of class. Jurgen Klopp's side setting a new club record of 64 league matches unbeaten at Anfield. It breaks a mark that was set between February of 1978 and January of 1981, which was actually ended by Leicester. However, yesterday Jurgen Klopp's team dispelled all bad omens. It was a dominant performance in the 3-0 win. And I think they sent out a big warning shot to the rest of the Premier League. It doesn't matter that Joe Gomez and Virgil van Dijk are going to be out for the season. We are still an imperious side to play against. It it was actually, for me, the performance of the weekend. Um, I'll start with you, Tom. Can anyone beat a Liverpool side in the race for the Premier League title when they're playing like this? I think it's going to be incredibly difficult. We all tipped, I think some of us, most of us tipped them for... um to be in the running they're definitely leading the way I'm going to come back to my mate Marco again and his uh, theme of consistency this is the last time I promise but when what struck me most was that the goal that Jota scored Andy Robertson switched to the left in space cuts inside crosses the ball runners into the box glancing header you could transpose that goal onto any game from Liverpool in the last two seasons that run by Jota could be Salah, Mane, Firmino, Wijnaldum breaking from the... It could be any of them. That was absolutely vintage Klopp's Liverpool. And that is part of the reason why, even if you lose these great, great talismanic players, you can still succeed because he has them so well drilled. The, The recruitment is so smart. You bring in players like Jota, who just seems to fit seamlessly in to any of these roles in the front three it, it's that's what's m- the most daunting thing and that's why my mate Marco had it right that consistency is a massive factor because you can also call on you know, Alison Rudd um, has written this morning on the Times that you, you can't call it a crisis when you can call on James Milner having that kind of a player to come in and play in a number of different roles you know, he knows every position he knows the way the team plays he embodies everything and what Klopp wants his Liverpool team to be about it, having that kind of a player you can call on is such a um, 
not frightening, but it's a daunting prospect for other teams that they can play this well without the players that they've they've got missing. Um, so I, it, it certainly certainly suggests that they're going to be leading the way, and uh, it might take someone like Jose to knock them off their perch in a few weeks' time. I agree. I, I thought it was a really enjoyable game. I, you know, if you're Leicester and you're looking at the at Liverpool's team sheet before that game, no Salah. No Henderson, no Thiago, no Van Dijk, no Gomez, no Trent Alexander-Arnold, exactly. You look at it and you think, you know, we've, we've got a chance here. And I, actually, you know, Leicester, I saw a few people kind of talking Leicester down. I thought they were not bad in the first half. It's a freak goal, jo- um, Johnny Evans, off the back of his head, the first one. And yes, that was a vintage Liverpool goal, but Albright and charged out ridiculously to, to Robertson and gave him the opportunity to put the ball in. And Evans was was pulled out and left a big bit of space. And so, you know, they were 2-0 down and then from there, good luck at Anfield against Liverpool. Um, but everything Tom said is true. They kind of, they still functioned exactly in exactly the same way as you expect Liverpool with the addition of all those players to function. Just obviously without the little bit of magic from Alexander-Arnold or Salah or someone. But Jota, I mean, Jota gave Fuchs a nightmare, nightmarish time in the first half. Um, and so yeah I th- that's it's pretty ominous it's kind of echoes of I think it was last January when the, when these two teams met and they were Leicester were deemed the kind of the closest threat to to Liverpool last season and they swept them away then and they pretty much swept them away again again last night and although it's earlier in the season it does kind of remind you that as impressive as Leicester have been as impressive as, as Tottenham have been as much as Chelsea have improved, there's still a long way to go. Liverpool are very much weakened, but they still look like they could win the. They're, they're definitely the most likeliest to win the league. You look at their run from here until mid-January when they play Manchester United, who shouldn't be a problem for them in all honesty. I mean, in that period of time, you think that they might put some light between them and the rest of the league. They've got Brighton next in the league. Then it's Wolves, Fulham, Spurs, Palace, West Brom, Newcastle, Southampton, Burnley, and then Manchester United. And you look at that, you know, set of fixtures, and even with injuries, you can only pick out maybe one or two games that you think they've even got a chance of not winning, let alone losing. Um, You know, I I think it will be very difficult for the rest of the Premier League. Joel Matip played at centre-half, of course. That's his usual position. He was joined by Fabinho, who's filled in there before. They could be a long-term centre-back pairing for the rest of the season for Liverpool. Does that give us some doubt that they can keep the consistency up, Tom? The key is not those two people. The key is the person behind them. Alisson in goal, I think he's almost... When we talk about these talismanic figures, where if you look back at moments where Liverpool have perhaps faltered, there is a bit of a correlation with Alisson being injured and Adrian being in goal. The Villa game, yes, that was a mad game and 7-2 and crazy stuff, but it started with Adrian being in goal and with an error at the start that allowed Villa to take the lead, I think. Atletico Madrid, he is such an important figure. Tony Cascarino has talked about this before, saying that he is more important than Virgil van Dijk in terms of organising that defence and being that reassuring uh, stopping point behind. I mean... I don't know. I don't know whether Gregor would agree. He's doing well at agreeing with me on this podcast. I'm going to go for it again. But uh, whether as a defender, that consistency of a goalkeeper that you rely on and trust behind you, even if you move position, maybe that is such a massive thing. 
So I, I actually don't think that Fabinho, Matip, I don't know whether it matters too much. They're obviously not as good as Virgil van Dijk. But if they've got Alisson behind them, I think they'll be all right. Gregor? <laughs> he's, he's, he's just w- wondering whether he can agree again. He's just weighing <laughs> it up. Can he take the risk? Yeah, of course. No, of course. I mean, you can see it in the players around them. I think you can see the kind of... Um, you can see their their confidence in, in having him him coming to claim, claim crosses. There was once when he... The ball was played down, down the channel, and he kind of he raced out and and slid in on on uh, I think it was Justin maybe. It's kind of he's got that that anticipation and he those those kind of judgments that he always seems to get right, whereas Adrian perhaps doesn't. Um, so undoubtedly that will give that's that will give uh, the players. It's a, although it's a patched together back four that will give them massive confidence. Yeah. I think they they look pretty good. I think there is a confidence that comes from being coached by Jurgen Klopp as well that he won't let them rest at the back. And so I think they'll be on it most games. It'll be interesting to see if those two stay fit though. And what might change if Fabinho and Joel Matip, who've both had their injury concerns uh, over the last year or so, um, can stay in the team together for a long period of time because Reese Williams and Nathaniel Phillips may well become a makeshift centre-back pairing. And that would totally change the complexion, of course, a rather inexperienced pair, but we'll see if Liverpool can, can keep the run up. And I think there's a good chance they will. Um, but I wanted to talk about, and I wanted to quiz you really on more handball confusion. Let's call it that this weekend, the Premier League, plenty of people remarking, they just don't really know what's going on. Um, Kevin De Bruyne of Manchester City is one of them. He had no idea what handball was, he said, uh, after Gabriel Jesus was judged to have handled in the build-up uh, to a would-be Manchester City equaliser against Spurs. Um, Manchester United, I've got to say, my team got one at the weekend and even I didn't really think that was Tambul. So, Matt Dickinson, I know you've been looking into this and you've examined a few examples. What is going on with the handball rule and do you know what it is? Uh, oh, God, that's a big question. I, I mean, to, first of all, I'd say that I don't know what De Bruyne is talking about. I mean, you know, the ball comes over, you're a striker in the box and, you know, I haven't... Th- um, looked at it in you know super 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 duper slow mo, but from the, what I saw replays, it looked like it caught his arm on the way through. If you're an attacker who you know uses an arm to control the ball and then scores a goal, it ain't a goal anymore. I mean, I think you know. So I think you know that partly that well that's specific to that issue, but also sums up the wider problem of you know oddly enough, players, managers, whoever, fans, all of us, you know, will grab at. You know, oh, it's a nonsense. It's a nonsense, even when it isn't a nonsense. I do think, you know, I was talking to someone not a million miles from IFAB um, quite recently about this. Um, a few points they make, and I'll just make these points and then get, you know, everyone else can say nonsense, idiot, sat, sat the lot of them. He was saying, uh, he or she um, was saying that... Um, they do think that England is making more of a, the Premier League is making more of a hash of this than others, that this whole idea about the unnatural uh, sort of silhouette, the unnatural movement is being over-interpreted. For example, you know, we go back to when Roy Hodgson was blowing his top with that penalty um, that that was against Palace back, this is back in September, but seemed to be one of the sort of bigger ones where, you know, I can't remember which Everton player headed it and it hit Ward's arm and 
and that was basically regarded as just a wrong decision. It was an overinterpretation of this idea of of the silhouette that basically, you know, they are not trying, I am told, to get defenders to defend with their arms behind their backs. There is a realization that that is, you know, that is not the intention. It might be the outcome at the moment, but that's because it's been overzealously enforced that basically you know, penalties are meant to handballs are meant to be handballs if you have an arm above the head is regarded as if you're sticking your arm above the shoulder. What are you doing? Basically, are you sort of trying to get your arm in a position where it's going to block? Uh, and yeah, to be less zealous about this, you know, un, unnatural, unnatural position. Um, so. That's what's being said, and to say that we are making more of a hash of it than than other countries, um, and therefore making more of a talking point of it than other countries, then getting more wound up than other countries. And I'll always, always on these things refer back to my sort of wider point that, to be honest, we'll always end up rowing about referees' decisions because that's what we do. So you know, whatever version of it we have with VAR, without VAR, with this type of handball, not that type of handball. Uh, arguing that the referee's an idiot is is what we love to do. I decided then off the back of this to play a little quiz with you guys and see if if we know what handball is in the current mould. If, if any of these decisions was given in the Premier League today, would we see it as handball? You guys can, can check it out on YouTube, get these videos yourself and see if you can tell us whether they're handballed or not because frankly, we've, we've got very little idea, but we'll try nonetheless. I'll start with the handball that was given, I think in the League Cup, might have been the Premier League, uh, Micah Richards versus Liverpool. He slides in to block a shot, comes off his toe pretty much, hits his arm, which is pretty much beside his his face in many ways, up, up. Yeah, I mean... He's, he's, slide, he's sliding he's in. He's sliding he? in, yeah. yeah. And um, I didn't think this was handball because it hits his foot first, although I thought of Matt Doherty against, I think, Southampton towards the start of the season where it hits Harry Wink's heel, flicks up and hits his arm. He's not even trying to block a shot. And that was given. I know the rules have changed slightly since then. Um, so basically, I don't know. But I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean towards... Um, I'm going to lean towards, yes, it would be given now as a penalty. What do you think? I was going to say it wouldn't be given as a penalty now. I think it would. But if but then there was one there was one with Leeds and Arsenal where I think it was Cooper who slid in and blocked. This weekend, yeah. Yeah. And it Aubameyang and it kind of cannoned off him and his arm was up as he was sliding in, as you do if you were a defender sliding, your arms kind of go in as balancing. And it bounced up and hit him fairly flush on the forearm. And the commentary was like, oh, well, you know, that's not a penalty. And I was watching thinking, wouldn't have that been a penalty a few weeks ago? I, I would say it is a penalty. Not, not that I necessarily agree with it, but the rule... I, I think I think Cooper's arm was in a natural position this weekend when he slid in. I, yeah, okay. Yeah, I think the fact that his arm was above his head would, would make me lean towards it being a penalty. Not that it should be. Should we say on this that we're all striving for some... You know, the fact we're even going through this and saying now... Now, obviously, if you sat Mike Riley in this conversation, you would hope for an authoritative... This is would probably be given a penalty because of this. This would probably not be given a penalty. But even those instances, even if you had Mike Riley in the room, and maybe we should let's get him next time. Let's get him on to join, join the front. <laughs> if, you know, Mike Riley would still be saying, "I would interpret it this way, but not all referees will." You know, we're we're striving here for some definition of handball that is like 
would be, wouldn't be, would be, wouldn't be. And it's never going to happen. You know, it's not, it, 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 they can rewrite the rules a million times. They can offer all the guidance they probably possibly but can. Matt, if we all understand the rules. That comes with VAR, with having this kind of, with the... Oh, God. The, sorry, sorry, Greg, I've, done it. I've mentioned it. I've mentioned it. But at least Alison's not here as well. That would then be really in trouble. But doesn't that come with... In the, when we use technology to look in the finite decisions, you're looking for a definitive answer, and that that that's what we're coming to, isn't it? That's part of the problem. But we realise that doesn't exist. We, yeah. should, we should have realised by now. Sorry, that yeah. it doesn't exist. Anyway, we're not doing very well at this quiz. Exactly. Our apologies to Michael Richards because we couldn't tell whether that was handball or not in the current rules. I think we've got undecided on that one. Uh, number two is Gerard Piquet versus Chelsea in the infamous uh, semi-final in the Champions League. I think it was 2009. And Elka tries to flick the ball past him from pretty close distance and it hits his arm in the penalty box. I don't think this was a penalty because of the proximity what do you guys think? Uh, Tom, I'll start with you. You were confused about the first one. Any clearer now? Um, on that basis, I'm going to go no penalty. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Definitely. Don't know, don't know why, but no penalty. <laughs> Proximity, Gregor? unfair, no penalty. I mean, I'm going to say the same again. I would think that that was so, his arm was out. It was almost like one of these ones where it was like a slap on the palm as well. It was really pretty blatant. And although I don't think it should be a penalty, I think that probably would be given today. I think you've got a good point there, Matt. What did you make of that situation? Um, I'm I'm probably giving it actually, but only on a marginal. I mean, I think it's one of those ones right on the right on the line. I mean, I thought the, you know, um, but there are going to be ones right on the line. You know, the 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 De Bruyne into Gomez. You know, with a hand when he's running back. Now, I didn't I didn't think that was because he's trying to get out of the way. But I've spoken to two or three people who know the rules better than. So well, better than me. And they said again, they said it was right on right on the line under any interpretation of the rules. So, you know, that's this blinking annoying thing called interpretation and nuance <laughs> is just gonna, you know, it's uh we need to get rid of it. Listen, I, I thought this was gonna be quick, Matt, and, and the reality of the situation is now we know why it takes so long at Stockley Park to come up with a decision because they've got us at the other end discussing it all very intelligently and Otherworldly. Anyway, uh, Kim Pembe for Paris Saint-Germain against Manchester United. I think it's Diogo Delot with a shot from distance. He turns round. It, it hits his arm. I think this is a penalty because he's left his arm there. Gregor? I mean, you would think this is a penalty. Let's be no honest. Chance. I, I just think he knows where the ball's going. He's aware. He's intelligent. The and ball's going about that, 20 yards over the bar. That's where it's going. It doesn't matter. It, it's travelled 20 yards to get to him. And he, he knows... In the region in which his, the ball is going, he's got. He, it's not that he sticks his arm out, but he just allows the ball to hit him on the arm, and he basically saves it. In my opinion, I, I think it's. A, I think it's a penalty, Gregor. No, I think it was too. It was his arm was close to his to his side. I don't think you could see that it was outside his natural silhouette, whatever the hell that is. But um, so no, and also the distance. I remember just thinking, oh my God, I've got a massive rewrite to do in the next <laughs> five, five minutes. Uh, this one wasn't given during the World Cup in 2018. Marcus Rojo for Argentina, trying to clear the ball, headed it against his own arm. Very controversial at the time because pretty much everything at the World Cup in 2018 that hit an arm in the penalty box was given as a penalty. Um, now, strictly speaking, I would say it, it shouldn't be given as a penalty on the current rules. 
Um, I'm not entirely sure about that. I just think in my mind it shouldn't be given probably. Um, Tom? I think it probably should be given as a penalty, but only because of how bad Marcus Rojo's attempt at heading the ball was. He should be punished for just being a terrible, terrible footballer. Um, it, it, it was pretty much when like freestylers catch the ball and slide the ball along their arm. Yeah, you know, it was like, it down arm, a bit like a party trick. No, but I, I, I think it... Yeah, I think it wouldn't be now. God, I'm bad at this quiz. <laughs> you can't make your own mind up. I don't think that one should be there. I mean, it's it's. I mean, it is a fairly inept header, but it's just um, it's. Did he definitely hit it? I think he like brushes his head and then down onto his hand. Yeah, I mean, say it's, it's fairly incompetent. But I mean, uh, if we're gonna if we're gonna punish Rojo for incompetence in in that situation, yeah, yeah, we'll have to take away his eighty grand a week contract to Man United. Um, finally, Perisic in the World Cup final corner comes in. Uh, it's missed by the players in front of him at the near post. It comes through the group, hits him on the arm. Very controversial at the time because it came in a World Cup final. Um, there's part of me that thinks it would be given now. It, uh, yeah, I think probably in the Premier League it would be given. Um, and I know Pep Guardiola was referring to the fact that, that Manchester City were knocked out of the Champions League because of Llorente's handball, which was very similar, um, but yet see themselves punished at the weekend. I think in today's rules uh, that that would be given as a penalty because the ball is heading in the region of the goal. I'm not sure it's going directly in, but it's very close to it. You guys, Matt, I'll start with you. No, I thought this was harsh at the time. I thought, you know, we were still trying to get used to the the new rules then. But this 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 is where I yeah I do think it's been over over enforced, overzealous, and um, I think there's an element of you know as much as we can, we should sort of get back to that sort of idea of punishment and crime. And this this struck me as just entirely accidental. The ball just flashes at you, bang! It's hit your arm. You don't even know about it. And I think in those circumstances, you know provided you're not running around in like a starfish pose then then you know it's 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 just unduly harsh and it is is mis- it's un it's sort of shaping the game in a way that we don't really want it to be shaped that's the fundamental thing did the player have the opportunity to get out of the way to not handle it that should be the line really unless they're standing on the goal line and you know it's blocks of obvious goal are really obvious kind of as you say, he was close to the ball. If it hadn't hit his arm, it would have gone right into the six-yard box. So there is that question mark about that. But And also, they might look and think, well, it's come all the way in from a corner. But players were jumping in front of him. He clearly didn't think it was going to come through to him. And it did. So, I, again, I don't think it should be, but I think it probably would be given today. Tom, you look very confused. <laughs> I was trying to bring a bit of clarity. Like, but I, I've just been reading the rules now, and it's, it's given me a headache. I mean... I, <laughs> outside the line of the, you know, the body. I mean, what the hell does that mean? Outside the body line. What's your body line? That's a cricketing term, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I, I think this one wouldn't be given now as a definitive answer. And I think they're trying to get to more of a position of where this kind of hands by your side, it hits you type thing. That That's not a penalty anymore. Apparently, you'll be thrilled to know there's going to be further clarification um, coming, coming at some point. And then there'll be the decision about whether Premier League officials stick to the interpretation that they're in generally enforcing now or change it mid-season. And, and we can all argue about that as well. So, I mean, it's like, you know, it's it's the gift that keeps on giving. 
it's years years ahead of podcasts of discussing what is happening. <laughs> we could do a whole we could do a whole spin-off series. Exactly. We still haven't got to the new the new series of the game podcast just called Five Subs. I think um we'll be talking about that soon as well. Uh look, look we should probably play that quiz on social media or something like that and we'll see if we can get a definitive answer. But all of you should rest assured that if we have absolutely no idea what's going on, you don't have to feel bad about not knowing either. Uh, that was the game podcast. Thank you for staying with us and thank you for coming back on Thursday. We'll see you then. My thanks to Matt Dickinson, Gregor Robertson and Tom Clark. But a reminder before you go, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times for more of the latest news from the footballing world. Some great stuff on there at the moment. Just go online, search the times.co.uk forward slash the game and you will get yourself one month free. We'll see you on Thursday. Take care. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.